Okay, well, of all the guests that we have this morning, we have some very special guests. There are people that Wellspring have known uh, you longer than most of you have been a part of Wellspring. Um, we first uh, knew them in the early 80s, and in 1985, they left to be full-time missionaries in Ivory Coast, and uh, we have been supporting them as missionaries ever since, and they're still over there laboring for the Lord, and uh, it was one of my great delights to spend some uh, time with them a few years ago, um, and it's a great delight to have them here once again every time they're back here. Their, their home church is in Wittenberry, is in Bloomfield called Wittenberry Church, um, and uh, our sister church. And uh, we're glad when they come back to visit them that they come back and visit us as well. So we've asked Steve and Carol to share for about 10 minutes of update on what their ministry is and what they're doing um, in, in Ivory Coast right now. Some exciting things um, before we, we go to the message. So Steve and Carol, would you welcome uh, these dear people? Steve and Carol, come on up here. I'm just going to let you uh, introduce yourselves further Bonjour. Hello, family. Uh, many of you we've never met. Some we've known since the, the uh, early 80s. But uh, we know that everyone uh, who knows Jesus is our brother and sister. So we greet you in Jesus' name this morning. And uh, we bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in the same family in Ivory Coast, West Africa. Uh, they always ask us to remember to greet you uh, in their name. We, uh, we really don't know how to say thank you to uh, Wellspring for your uh, participation, your partnership in the gospel with us from the first day in 1985 until now. Um, we, we are missionaries with Converge, uh, which is a denomination of which this church is a part, for those of you who maybe don't know that yet. Um, and um, we went out in 1986, actually, to, uh, to France and... Um, and, and then eventually to Ivory Coast. Carol was remembering something uh, that was really precious uh, that this church was involved in. I'm just going to pass her the mic. Yeah, we were talking yesterday with a friend, and I said, one of the really special memories I have of Kensington Baptist, which was the name of this church before it became Wellspring, was that <clears throat> back in 1985, we had four little tiny kids and then I got pregnant that year. So three months before we left, we had our fifth child. And uh, we were leaving for four years. So going through all this with babies, um, it was our job to pack up for two years in France and then to also pack a crate that would be sent to Ivory Coast to greet us when we got there that would have things in it for our kids two years later. So I, I couldn't even comprehend that. <laughs> but the ladies of Kensington Baptist said, listen, we'll help you. And what do you need two years from now when you get to Africa? And, and I said, well, people say we need cotton underwear for all the kids and cotton socks and stuff like that. But I can't even think of what size they're going to be. So the ladies said, no problem. And the ladies of Kensington bought underwear and socks, and they packed them all up in uh, Ziploc bags and made sure that those things got into the crate that was sent to Africa for for us for two years after. And I'll, I'll never forget how precious it was to receive that stuff, uh, what was it, 1988, when we got to Africa and open up these things and see all this stuff that the ladies of Kensington had sent for us. And that was an amazing ministry. You, you guys were like angels. <laughs> Z- Zachariah, in his prophecy in Luke chapter 1, uh, at the birth of his son, said, uh, talked about the tender mercies of our God. And um, that, that, that expression reminded me of that, that, that uh, that way that God expresses his tender mercy through, through us, through each other. And it was a, it was a, you can see <laughs> it was a tender mercy moment for us to have you involved in that way. Steve, Steve had a wife that was extremely hormonal at that time. <laughs> that was. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
So I'm remembering that too. It was really <laughs> So as we've experienced, um, as we've explained in the past, our ministry can be explained or summarized in three words. Uh, health, uh, hearts, health, and harvest. So I'm just going to go through those. First of all, hearts. Uh, the idea is that we, we have a ministry of renewing hearts by God's grace, the hearts of leaders, and the joy of knowing Jesus. And this ministry, which we have offered to large pastors and wise retreats, uh, one-on-one ministries and small groups, uh, it grew out of our own experience of brokenness. We had a loss of joy in our spiritual lives, and we needed help. And through a spiritual mentor, the Holy Spirit began making the costly love of Christ more real to our hearts. And the joy of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus became deeper to us. And as we experience more of God's love for us in the gospel, in our own brokenness, a desire grew in our hearts to share what God was doing in our lives with other leaders who we knew uh, struggled with the same things that we do in the Christian life. Jesus said to Simon, the Pharisee, who was, he was forgiven little, loves little. And recently, when one of our sessions of sharing, one of the uh, leaders said that he was amazed how much more aware he was becoming of his own brokenness, of his self-righteousness, of his self-love. And instead of driving him into shame and guilt, it drove him into the hands of and the arms of a Savior who has paid for that once for all, who loves him uh, even when he fails, his love never changes, and who has declared him righteous and beautiful in the sight of God. This morning, uh, it was just so beautiful to us. You know, we, uh, we live in the tropics, and so when it snows and, and gets cold here, we love it. Sorry about that. But, but it was, wasn't it beautiful this morning, the, the sparkling trees? Um, that, that reminds me so much of the beauty that Christ puts on us because we're in Christ. And Jesus, God sees us as beautiful because we are in Jesus and so that's the message that we, we share with, uh, and that has changed our lives. The, the, uh, the, the need to keep going back to our brokenness and our need of a Savior is what keeps causing the growth in Christ-likeness in our lives. The second H is <clears throat> health. We believe that Christ's kingdom work is holistic, which means that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus in word and in deed. The Lord led our team in the early years of our ministry to create a large primary health care center in the middle of an underserved 98% Muslim neighborhood. Our goal is to offer quality health care at a reduced price while demonstrating the love of God in Christ. We serve over 50,000 patients a year, and besides offering them excellent physical care at a reduced cost, through our full-time chaplain, we also offer an opportunity to receive prayer, counsel, and even salvation in Jesus' name, free of charge. Each year, several patients put their trust in Jesus as their Savior, are followed up, and oriented to to local churches in the area. Through a grant from a German uh, nonprofit organization, a brand new service is about ready to open up. Uh, It's uh, our pediatric eye care center, and along with two university hospitals, uh, for the first time in the history of Ivory Coast, we will be able to offer eye surgery to children who have severe vision problems. We thank God for another way that he's given us to show Jesus' compassion uh, to the poor. Holistic health also means leaving poverty and attaining financial autonomy. So recently, our Ministry of Business as Mission has been traveling to villages outside Abidjan to help groups of people start village savings and loans and receive training in running a small business on basic biblical principles. These groups are set up for 9 to 12 months so that people can save a small amount of money each week, most of them for the very first time, and then three months later become qualified to receive a small loan, which they pay back with interest. And here you see the end of a nine-month cycle where the villagers in uh, Ira are celebrating receiving their, their money back, their investment back with interest. We're particularly excited about the VSL in a neighboring village called Tiagba, which at the end of their second cycle of saving and giving loans, they decided to pool their money and start a business together, which is really the desire we have that people would start to transform their community 
uh, and bring uh, the whole community up from poverty. So what they're doing is they're now buying up all the palm oil, which has been extracted from palm tree nuts by villagers in their region. And they're stocking it to sell it at a fair price when the season changes and the price goes up. This not only will bring them a profit, but will also protect local cottage industries from the price gouging that uh, Abidjan vendors, uh, buyers come in and, uh, and impose on them. So the last H is harvest. God led us to partner with an Ivorian mission to create a pioneer missionary training institute in 2012, which has as its goal to prepare African national missionaries to reach the unreached peoples of Africa and beyond with the gospel. The program spans two years, including nine months of internships, during which the students are out in the field working under experienced missionaries and planting churches. To date, we have trained 46 missionaries, most of whom are reaching least-reached peoples in Ivory Coast, Guinea, Madagascar, Mali, and Guinea-Bissau. This past year, our current students and some previous students, who are now missionaries in the western region of Ivory Coast, participated with a team from churches in the U.S. and many other Ivorian believers, as well as five Ivorian child evangelism fellowship workers, to plant a church in a village called Guane. The Tour people in this village had never responded to the gospel <clears throat> over many, many years of efforts, even violent uh, reprisals at times. During a week where we did a kind of VBS with over 500 elementary school children, if you can imagine, uh, 300 children raised their hands to receive Christ. The director of the elementary school told us later that the passage of the missionary team has brought a new spirit of peace and harmony among the children from the different ethnic groups, and that that spirit of peace and harmony has spread out into the village, uh, the shalom of Jesus. While the VBS was going on, missionaries were sharing the gospel also door-to-door, and 11 tour adults trusted Jesus as their Savior. And as a result, a thriving church is now exists in this village, because at the same time, we were having a, a, a house being built where the church now meets. Uh, soon after our visit, to the village of Guane, the Jesus film, which had just been uh, dubbed into Tura for the very first time, was shown in the village. And uh, that night, a drug and alcohol addict, who because of his out-of-control behavior was a real problem for the people of the village and the leaders, he received Christ. And God did a miracle of transformation in his heart and in his life. He was completely freed from his addictions, and he became a model citizen in the community and a member of the church. Amen. Recently, a man from another ethnic group called the Fulanis, maybe some of you have heard of them, went to the missionary pastor and said, we all see what has happened in this man's life. Your God is strong. If he could change this man, would you pray for me to know God in the same way? So in February of next year, Uh, the students from the training school will join another team, uh, taking a team from Wintonbury and Bloomfield, and also two members of the team from last year from Iowa. And uh, we're going to plant a church, by God's grace, in a neighboring village. And uh, that's uh, because the chief of that village, who is also a regional chief, uh, over 13 villages, when he saw what we did in Guane, uh, he, he said to, one of, to, the, to the missionary, uh, why did you plant the church in his village and not in mine? Come to my village. I'll give you land. You build a church and I'll come. And so this man has huge influence over uh, this unreached, at least reached people group. Uh, he's one of the only only two chefs de canton, they call him, chief of the canton. And uh, if he comes to Christ, uh, this unre- least reached people group could really be opened up in a great way. God is doing a great thing, and we're so privileged to be a part of it. And let me say that when I say we are so privileged to be a part of it, we are so privileged to be a part of it. Because uh, you, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Jesus said his last words on earth, as far as we know, were, you will be witnesses, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. And it's, uh, it's a command that says all at the same time, 
You are responsible. We are responsible to reach the world with the gospel and to go to the least reached peoples as well. And that's what you're doing by partnering with us all these years. God, we just want to thank you again so much for, for uh, being partners with us, faithful friends, expressing God's tender mercy to us. I just want to uh, close our moment with uh, something that God has laid on my heart recently. A little while back, I was feeling really worn out and kind of discouraged. And um, God led me to Romans 15, which started talking about endurance and encouragement. And I needed that. I needed to keep enduring, and I needed to be encouraged to do that. And uh, so I started really meditating on this passage. But God had a lot more for me in this passage besides encouragement and endurance. Um, I just want to read a few verses, Um, starting with verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. It was a reminder of the absolute um, strength strategic importance of the whole body of Christ working together and our privilege of of being with one another and the call to be humble and accept one another for in order to bring praise to God. But then I love this next part, and this is what I really want to share today um, <clears throat> because the Paul turns to thinking about who Jesus was and what he did for us. And at this Advent season, it's a wonderful time to be reminded. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I'm a Gentile, and I'm here glorifying God because of his mercy and because Christ came to announce it. And um, the verse continues, um, as it is written, and this is about Jesus. And I I just want to say, too, that the Bible is very clear that we are the body of Jesus in this world right now. Our physical presence in this world is Jesus. And so this is why Jesus came. It, It cites some prophecies. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Jesus came to sing the praises of the name of God. And that's, we're here in the present as Jesus' body singing the praises of the name of God. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. The the vision of Converge International Mission is this. We are asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people in our generation. That's a gigantic thing to ask for. But it's not just one person to do the job or one couple or one local church. It's the entire body of Christ worldwide who is launched out to the nations. And there, a quarter of the population of the world is still unreached and buried in their culture so that they haven't heard the gospel, the wonderful news that we're celebrating at this season. But we are the voice, and we are the ones that are being launched out. I just want to finish I'm going to repeat verse 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. So, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you, fill us, with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Isn't that amazing? Um, isn't it a privilege for us to be partnering with people who are willing to serve in these capacities? Um, and I hope you picked up on what they said. They're, they Last year, they took a team, actually it was mainly from Iowa, from a church in Iowa, that helped them work with a church planter, that they indigenous church planter, um, in that, uh, to plant that church in that village. And then in a couple of months, the church from Wittenberry up in Bloomfield is going um, to join them. Um, I had the privilege a few years ago to go into those same that same area and to watch some of those church planters and see God do some amazing work. And uh, it is in the initial planning stages that next year it'll be a Wellspring team. So that's going to go. So, so I want to encourage you with that, um, that we'll be taking next January, February, looking at maybe going to plant, plant a church in another one of those villages. If you want to go remote in the world... Uh, I'd love to join with these guys and do that. So could we pray uh, for them? Would you join me? Um, Father, I'm so grateful for Steve. I'm so grateful for Carol. I'm so grateful for uh, the encouragement and the perseverance. And Lord, that they have labored for so long. And Lord, I'm grateful also that uh, even in many times when it's discouraging, even to stop and do what they just shared today, they can see the fruit of their labor. But most of all, they can see the fruit of the gospel that is shared, that brings forth uh, fruit and even fruit that will remain. So, Lord, as they go back uh, in a few weeks, back to Ivory Coast, um, as they welcome the team from Bloomfield and all the other things that they will be doing over the next few years, Lord, we speak your blessing upon them, your favor. We ask, God, that you would open even new doors to surprise them with the, with the power of the gospel. Pray for this village that's going to receive the message of the gospel in a couple of months. We pray, God, that you would already be preparing everyone from the chief down to the least. And, Lord, we also ask that you would protect and sustain this couple and their ministry in your good care. By the grace of the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. That was awesome. You're so far away. Yeah, come closer. Good morning, everybody. Most of you know who I am. If you don't, I'm Kevin, and this is... I'm Carrie. It's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you guys so much for sharing. It was great. Just love your hearts. Yeah. And just bless what God is doing in you guys as a couple, and um, especially that that heart work that God has been doing. That He's multiplying your your hearts are so tender to Him, and I just love that about you guys. Yeah, bless you guys. It's good. Yeah, for real. Uh, Well, Carrie and I are going to share a little bit today. I'm going to probably try as best I can uh, to teach for like six to seven minutes, which means 20. But uh, and then uh, we're just going to kind of um, converse. I'm so glad that that uh, Carol and Steve did that because uh, because it's going to look much the same because but I gave Carrie her own mic because she'd be taking mine, too, at times uh, as well. No, we're we love doing this. uh, together in this way. So we're going to share a little bit. We're going to, uh, um, and then we're going to talk through it together because for a couple of different reasons. First of all, so you get to know us a little bit better than just preaching. Uh, and then second of all, because we want to apply some of the stuff and see what it looks like. Is that okay? That's all right. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, can I get five or six people that are willing to pray for, uh, for us as we jump into this? Awesome. Thank you, guys. Actually, why don't we pray now? Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, we ask that um, that you would speak to us, God. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Father, I ask right now that the, the peace of God, which transcend, transcends all of our human understanding, would just rest on us right now. Open our eyes and ears to hear you and to see you. Father, open our hearts to feel you afresh again. Lord, may you be pleased with everything we do in your name. Amen. So we've been in this series on looking at the I am statements uh, of Christ. These seven statements that are largely found in the book of John. 
where Jesus is identifying himself as the great I am. And we looked at that and we've been looking at these statements and we're going to wrap it up today. These seven statements where Jesus is um, sharing these I am statements, these titles, but it's a reflection of who he is. And so he th- says things like, I am the light of the world. I, I am the bread of the world. He says, uh, uh, I'm the gate. I'm the doorway in this way. And last week I looked in the, the book of John, in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. How many were here last week? If you remember, awesome. Uh, I brought up the whiteboard and we went old school and we wrote up some things and, uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, at least for me. Uh, and you guys stuck with it. And today we're going to look at this last statement you know, from the book of John, and it's found in John chapter 15. And it's a very familiar one. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to have you turn with me to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is going to start out. Now, as we dive into this, you know, Jesus is, is in the upper room with his disciples sharing this last supper, the Passover meal, before Jesus is going to go. Uh, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be brought up on trumped up charges, and he's going to be nailed to a cross. Jesus knows what's about to happen, but his disciples don't. So this last evening, this last supper discourse is a, is a dialogue that Jesus is having with his closest friends, knowing that his time before the crucifixion is coming to an end. They don't know all that. And so last week we looked at John chapter 14, where Jesus is saying, I want to show you the Father. I'm going to the Father, and I will show you the way. You know the way. And Thomas says to him, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father unless they come through me. So we looked at that last week. And in that same dialogue, in that same conversation around the Passover table, Jesus is going to use another metaphor, and he's going to give another I am statement to show even more about himself, more about his mission, more about his heart, more about his passion, and connect it with what he has just said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is going to use this metaphor uh, to define who he is, and he starts in verse 1, and he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, he's just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's going to continue this thought. And he, in that passage, he talks about me and the, I and the Father. The Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. And the Father is in you, and you are in the Father, and I'm one. And he's talking about this, this unity of heart that Jesus wants us to live from, live towards, and live out of. And it's all a way of love. Love, true unity, true harmony, true community is based in love. And so Jesus is going to talk about that. And he says again, he says, I am the true vine. And the translation I have here, and he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And that's not language we use. So in other translations, they said, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. And so he continues this. He says in verse two, he says, every branch in me. So he's using that phrase again in me. That does not bear fruit, he, being the Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, the gardener, the Father, so that it may bear even more fruit. Verse 3, you, being the disciples, you are already clean because of the word or the words that I have spoken to you. Now verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you, that is, bear fruit, unless you abide in me. He continues, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I just want to, you know, this is a very familiar passage for many of us. 
And for a lot of us, we actually did a whole series. Wes and I, if you look at that wall, abide in me, love one another. We looked at this. We spent a a, a fair number of weeks, six or seven weeks, looking at this passage and the implications of it. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but let me just give you the general heart of what Jesus is saying here. He's using this metaphor that they would have understood far greater than we. He's using this this example, this metaphor, this uh, uh, illustration of a vine. And he's talking about a grapevine. And he says that, I am the vine and you are the branches. And all these branches, if you stay connected to the vine, now they would have understood this more than us, but we're pretty smart. And we've got a little bit of botanical, organical understanding to understand that it's the vine that releases life to the branches. Am I right in that? And so Jesus is basically using this metaphor to say, life flows from me to the branches. And if that life is flowing through me, the branches will bear fruit. Don't try to bear fruit because you can't on your own. Just remain in me. And so he uses this word that gets translated in this translation, which I like, is abide. Some of your translations may say remain. Abide's probably a better translation because the word abide is talking about to rest in, to connect with, or to dwell in, or basically to make your home there. So Jesus is basically saying, live from my presence. If you live in my presence and from my presence, if we stay connected, my life will flow to you. And he uses that illustration. If I were to translate this for a 21st century audience that's that's sitting here in, in Kensington, Connecticut, it'd probably look more like this. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the outlet. You're the plug. If you plug into me and stay plugged into me, everything you were created to live from that power will be released to you. If you unplug from me, you can do nothing. Does that help? As long as you stay plugged into me, the power source, the source of all life, everything you were created for can live out of that. If you unplug, it's worthless. Your computer unless it has a battery. Your computer doesn't work unless it's plugged in. Am I right? If you have a computer and you're looking at it and go, this thing doesn't work, and you call customer support, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Is it plugged in? Second thing, is it turned on? 80% of customer service problems with computers are down to those two things. Is it plugged in? Is it turned on? And Jesus is using that, uh, an agrarian society illustration to say, I am the source of life. Now to go back to this real quickly, he's basically referring in that same heart to what he's just said in the passage before that, just probably minutes before in the same dinner. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything flows from me. Everything connected with the Father comes through me. I am the way you plug into the Father. And if you plug into this and to me. And so John is writing this in the book of John, in this gospel of John, the disciple that Jesus loves. And I want you to fast forward real quick uh, to the book of First John. Now, this is the same author, John, writing decades later to the church that wasn't in that room, that might not have been there in that way. He's writing decades later, and he's using those same, that, that same passions, that same heart that his best friend, his, his beloved Messiah is using. And he says this, and then we'll look at it. He says, whoever says he abides in me. Is that up there? Oh, no, not yet. He says, whoever says he abides in Jesus. Now, Jesus just said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. It's to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. If you don't, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. And he's, so John is taking that same heart, that same message, and he's saying, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Did you guys get that? Now, we might be tempted to say that that means that he needs to do everything just as Jesus did. And that is partly, that is absolutely the heart of it. But let me break it down a little bit more. I'm going to give you this, this passage that I'm reading here. If you could see up there, it says the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. Does that make sense? I'm going to now give you the KBV, the Kevin Butterfield Version. 
Please don't write me an email and say, are you equating your version with the word? No, but I want to break it down a little bit more for you. It could be written, if I were to write this and translate it so we'd understand it, basically John is saying, if anyone wants to abide, that is to dwell in the presence and the life flowing from Jesus, if anyone wants to abide in Jesus, he must walk in the way of Jesus. If you take uh, the translation, which we have written in Greek, but John doesn't speak Greek. John spoke Aramaic and probably spoke Hebrew. But if you translate this in Hebrew, it would have used the word halakha. Halakha would have been known as the way. We translate it as the way as we translate it in English. But John would have understood this, and probably many of his listeners would see this. In Hebrew, the way, halakha, would have meant to live in the way of the Torah and the Talmud, the written law and the, and the traditional, the, the, all of the collection of commandments. John is not saying to go back to the old way. He would have said if anyone wants to abide and stay connected in Jesus, he will live in the way that Jesus brought to us, the new way, the way, the truth, and the life. And so there's a lot of implications with that. So now, uh, I wish I had more time to talk through that a little bit more as last week, but I want, I want to break this down because the question is, uh, the reality is, is most of us who are in this room, not everyone, but most of us in this room, we'd say, we want to plug in. We want to abide in Christ. We want the life living, life flowing, life power of Christ to be in us. We want to live connected to the heart of God. Most of us would say that, probably. If, you're, if you gave up part of your Sunday morning to come together to worship Jesus, I guarantee. But the reality is, is most of many of us don't know how to do that. What does it really mean to abide in Christ? Does it mean go to church? Does it mean go through a confirmation class? Does it mean to go through this? Does it mean to say yes to this, that, and the other thing? Most of us don't know what Jesus is really saying. I want you to live in and from my presence in every part of your life. How do we do that? How do we connect to Jesus? So that's where Carrie and I are going to just share a little bit more uh, in that way. We're not saying that these are, is this the exhaustive list of connecting with Christ? Because there's a lot of different ways. We just want to kind of land the plane a little bit more specifically to go, what could this look like? And what does this look like for us? Does that make sense? How do we abide in Christ? So I'm going to start, I'll say to Carrie, um, do you want to add anything to that? Do you want to connect that? Or I can just ask you some Well, I could actually. Always, I always have something to say. Um, when Jesus, um, or John's referencing the way, um, you know, in Matthew 11, um, and also in John 5, um, and even in John 15, Jesus says something really significant. And he says, um, the son only does what the father shows him to do. John 5, he says, I can do nothing apart from the father. Um, and so I think what we see here is a natural expression in a vine um, with the branches um, of that being illustrated, um, which is saying, apart from God, um, we can do nothing. Um, and the way Jesus describes in Matthew 11, basically, is him saying, um, you know, this is in community and communication and relationship to the Father. I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you. And in fact, he says, let me show you how to walk this out. Um, and what he wants to demonstrate to the people that he's talking to, and we see him do this with the disciples, is how to live in relationship with the Father so that they too, we too, can say, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what Jesus shows me to do. Um, it sounds high and lofty, but it, it's, it's actually accessible. Um, and um, so, so let me ask I think that's question. what I would add to that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's right. So the question uh, I'd ask for you is, so Carrie, what does it look like for you to abide in him? What is that, um, what is that meant for you, or what does it look like for you in that way? Sure. Um, so for me, um, it's been a journey. Um, and I think for a, a lot of, all of us are on this journey of learning how, um, to live in relationship 
with the Trinity. Um, and it's been frustrating at times. It's been exhilarating at times. And um, the way that it kind of really, I had a really significant breakthrough in one season of my life. And we happened to be living in a valley that overlooked hundreds of vineyards. Um, and I remember one of our neighbors had come down to visit with us. And at that time, um, we had everything was kind of blooming, and we had lemon trees and lime trees and grapefruit trees and in our backyard um, that was this big, um, <laughs> smallest backyard in the world. Um, but um, and he was a farmer. And he lived on the top of our hill, and he had come down to visit with me. And uh, and I said to my friend Brad, he said we were talking about fruit trees, and he said, "So Carrie, he said, did you know that you can actually graft a lime tree into a lemon tree? So you can have a a lemon tree that will bear limes." And I was like, really? I never knew that. How do you do that? He said, well, what I'll do is I'm going to cut off a branch from that lime tree, and I'm going to graft it into the lemon tree. And I said, well, how's, it, how's that going to work? And he says, well, I have to wound the tree. I'm going to wound that lemon tree. I'm going to create a cut. I'm going to cut it. And from that cut, sap will be expressed. He said, I'm going to cut off a branch from that lemon tree. Did I just say the lime tree and attach it to the the lemon tree? And I said, is that going to work? Because I don't know anything basically about about this stuff. And he said, yeah. I said, he said, all that all that lime, all that lime branch needs to do is stay connected, and it will begin to bear fruit. And uh, he said, all the it's it's totally drawing on and feeding on that lemon tree for life. He said, watch it. It's, it's, it's miraculous. And, um, and so sure enough, you know, he did that and that's what we saw happen. But for me in that season, I was like in this incredible time of learning how to dwell in the presence of God and learning that apart from God, I could do nothing. Um, and God gave me this like natural expression of seeing that happen. Um, and so, I want to just say, this isn't a natural thing. It's supernatural. It's a miracle. And for me, it started off with a miracle. Um, I was burnt out, stressed out, exhausted. I was trying to bear fruit apart from God. And it was not working for me. Now, that didn't mean that I wasn't going to church and that I wasn't, you know, at times experiencing the presence, and the power of God. But there, was, there were things in me that they were coming from myself and not from God. I was trying to prove something. Um, and, and so in that season, a lot of you guys are going to find that you have to come to the end of yourself sometimes in order to reach out for God to be the life source. Um, And so what happened was I went through a season where I just said to God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he was like, fine, like finally she gets it, you know? Um, And it's, and really the, the way that it began is the way that it's continued too, is that God loves to do things for me that I can't do for myself. He loves to do things for us that we can't do for ourselves. I'm in need of a great Savior every day, all the time. And when I'm aware of that and I draw on that, that source of life, then there's fruit for me. Um, So that's a sort of a description. Sure. I think Jesus is prescribing something to us. He's prescribing a relationship with the Father. How that happens and what that looks like is really big. Um, and so. So, why don't you uh, 
because it is big, and you're talking about living from his presence and talking about that. So, um, and really what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I've modeled the way for you. You need to learn the way from me uh, and learn how to do this uniquely. So, Carrie, what would you say uh, were the key things that taught you how to plug into Jesus' presence? Um, and Yeah. Um, well, I think two key things that have been helpful for me um, is communion and communication with the Father, um, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Um, and it's impossible to have a relationship with God and not communicate with him. Um, and um, the second thing is operating in truth, like being really real with God, being authentic with him about who I am, um, and that he really, he is the truth. And so when I am, when I'm vulnerable and I expose myself to him in that way, it gives him permission to be who he wants to be for me. But when I'm busy trying to present something to God that isn't even real, um, then, then it blocks him out from being who I need him to be for me. Um, in Matthew 6, um, you know, Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes. Matthew 6 is don't worry about any, you know, don't worry about what you eat, what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear and how God takes care of the birds. But if you keep going, um, that, um, God basically, or Jesus is saying, you know, don't pretend. Get alone with me. Be yourself. And wait until you feel my presence. And then, like, basically he's saying, and then I can be what I need to be for you. Um, And so, for me... Um, Jesus, or the Father as the vine dresser um, has required me to be real about who I am and who I need him to be for me. Um, and um, what was the first thing I said? You said communication. Communication, uh, yes. Why don't you, yeah, why don't yeah, you yeah, dive you. into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, okay, because sure. We often, you know, in church world, we think communication is prayer, and it is, but we often think prayer is talking to God, or sure. sometimes, if we were to be honest, talking at God. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so um, the way that I define prayer is paying attention to God. Um, and so uh, to pay attention, it sometimes means I have to be quiet, and then I have to be still. Um, God is so amazing. He's such a good listener. Um, and, uh, I can find myself in my prayer life talking, being the main talker in that. Um, and at times that's okay. Um, but nothing I'm going to say is going to change the situation. I need to hear God's heart and perspective and that requires me to be quiet, to be still, to invite his presence and his peace into my heart sometimes, because sometimes when we're anxious, it's really difficult to hear God the way that we need to. Um, so communication with God for me a lot of times looks like listening. Um, and that's been a journey. That has been... That is a huge journey, and um, I believe with 158% of who I am that God speaks to every single person in this room. And um, we're growing in our ability to understand and connect with that um, and to perceive that, but... um, so that's been a journey. I'm on that journey with you guys. I'm not the best at it. I might not be the worst at it. Um, God is, but God is so faithful. Um, 
and so kind and so good, and he just so wants to speak to you. He loves to talk to his kids. Uh, what that looks like for you, it can look like a lot of things. Um, the main way he speaks to me is through Scripture. 98% of the time he's speaking to me, it's through Scripture. Um, yeah. And so, and the, the, like Carrie said, is, is first of all, is that if Jesus was the way, if he was the model to show us what it looks like to live a fruitful lifestyle, we're called to live in his way. Jesus said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. I only say what the Father shows me to say. So he's setting up the example of, there's a two-way communication here, that the life flow of the presence of the living God comes in relationship through communication. Can you have a relationship with someone you don't communicate with? No, not really. And so that's part of it is, you know, we're learning how to hear the voice of God. And for Carrie and I, we've been on this journey together and there's similarities, but I can't tell you, we're very different people. And so we learn how, we've learned how to both hear and communicate with the Lord in a very different way. If I say to Carrie, this is how you hear the voice of the Lord. And this is how you commune with the Lord. And she tries to do it the Kevin way. He does do that sometimes. I do. Yeah, he does. Uh, it's, it's happened. It's happened. It is less than fully satisfying because, you know, if you're a parent, you know, if you've got more than one kid, you speak to your kids differently because they hear differently. Am I right? And so God is always doing this. There may be overlapping things, but, and there's a tender relationship, but learning how to hear the voice of the Lord is, is so essential to that and so on. Uh, Carrie, you said two things and I, I want to hit these real quick and then, uh, we want to experience it and do something. You, you use the phrase alone. I get alone with God. Uh, and then listen to him. You work full time. You volunteer here and other places and you're a busy person. Uh, I'm sure no one else in this room can relate to that. Um, so what does it look like for you to get alone with God and, and to commune with him, to connect with him and abide in him? Um, so in different seasons, it looks like different things. And I just want to say to you that there's such grace for you in the season that you're in with God. Um, and one of the things I would encourage you to do is to ask God what season you're in and what he wants to be for you in this season. Um, it will be really helpful for you. It'll save you some frustration. Um, and um, But what it looks like for me, I learned to hear God's voice when I had, I was working full-time, I had toddlers uh, doing ministry, and the way that I learned to hear God's voice was when I vacuumed because I couldn't hear anything. And so there was this, like, absence of, there was white noise, and it was, it, it was dropping my kids off at nursery school on my way to work and picking, and on my way to pick them up, that I would just begin to talk to the Lord and listen for his response, you know. Um, I wasn't always sure, I wasn't very confident in my ability to do that. Um, but there was such grace that, that God was like, he was just so kind. Um, so wherever you're at on this journey, I, there's, the Lord wants to just be so kind and merciful and good to you in your um, desire to hear his voice. I wanted to say one thing. A lot of you are dissatisfied with your spiritual walk. And, and I want to tell you, I've been there. I would leave church feeling like I hadn't gotten fed what I needed to be fed. Like I was still hungry. And so that I felt quite frustrated by that. But what I've learned is that this expression is meant to whet our appetite, not to fulfill it. And so this John 15 expression, this abiding, is us saying, I need you to, I need to sit at a table with you, God, and I need you to feed me. And if that table is your commute, if that table is your vacuuming, you're folding your laundry, God is so willing and so able to speak to you in that place. Um, and he will, um, if you ask. Yeah. For Carrie, it was vacuuming. For me, it was traffic. I remember uh, living in Fairfield County and in Fairfield County on the Merritt Parkway. Um, when, when Jesus, or when, when in the book of James, when it talks about 
Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. He was thinking about the Mayor Parkway at rush hour. And, and, uh, uh, and I would sit in 45 minutes of traffic on the way to work and on the way home. And I used to, like, it used, I used to, you know, I, none of you can relate. People in Connecticut can't relate. But I'd be, like, sitting there like, ah! And for someone who's action-oriented, going two miles an hour on, on a road is, is just frustrating. Road rage, you know? I would never act on it, at least outside of my mouth. But anyways... <laughs> And I remember the Lord saying, you complain about this traffic and you get to work all frustrated and you come home all pent up with this. He goes, you're always wanting more time. to. You're always saying you don't have time to spend with me. I give you 45 minutes on the way to work and 45 minutes on the way home. And so what used to be an inconvenience became my prayer closet. And I would put some worship music on and I would just... And I literally, this is how it worked for me, um, because I believe our imaginations are a, a gift from God when we use them in godly ways. And so I would imagine Jesus sitting next to me in the passenger seat, and I would just talk to him, and then I would listen. Uh, and can I tell you, when we ended up moving and I didn't have to deal with traffic anymore, I missed that 45 minutes each way. Because life would flow into me. I would get home from work feeling energized because I had connected in his abiding in his presence. I would get to work feeling energized. And I would ask the Lord questions about what I had to do that day or who I was meeting with that day. And it just changed my world. Does that make sense? And so I wasn't living from reaction from what was happening around me. The Lord was using that time to fill me to learn how to respond from that place. Uh, and in that way. And so for Carrie, it was vacuuming. Carrie would also say, uh, she comes home and often before she, you know, she'll, uh, before, you know, we do whatever we need to do for the night, Carrie will go and take a bath. I hate baths. I really do. Carrie loves them because she's not just taking a bath. She's actually soaking with the presence of God. And can I tell you, there've been many times when Carrie would go up to take a bath and come down a different person. It's not, we don't have a magical bath, okay? It's because she was soaking and abiding in the presence of God. And that was the way she connected with Jesus. She would talk, she would listen, she would debrief. As she said, it does your relationship with God no good for you to pretend like everything's okay when everything's not okay. The other thing is, like Carrie said, is, is, is this. We learn how to connect. We connect when worship together differently than when we connect in worship by ourselves. If we, we've got great teaching here, and I, I sat on, and Carrie, Carrie grew up in a church that has probably one of the, the top three Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. But if I relied on his 45 minutes of teaching for a whole week, no wonder we're dissatisfied. Because I'm living off of his connection with the Father. Not mine. Does that make sense? And no matter how good our teaching is, although we can learn, that's not abiding. That's visiting. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. Um, One of the things I just want to say to you guys, um, and if you're brave and you want to raise your hand, great. If you don't, that's fine. Um, Some of you experience guilt in your relationship with God that you kind of feel like, I want to say God is not passive aggressive. So if you haven't seen him for a while, or if you haven't spent time with him for a while, he does not hold it against you. He's just always happy to see you. And you don't have to earn your way back into his good graces. Um, And so I think a lot of times guilt and shame and condemnation keep us from experiencing the presence of God because we feel bad. And some of that is Holy Spirit conviction, and I I don't want to mess with that. But it doesn't take much for that to get perverted into guilt and shame and condemnation. And so if that's something that you experience, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. 
trying to keep you away from abiding, from your life source. It's cutting you off from your life source. And I want to release the truth to you. He is always, always, always happy to see you, to speak to you, to hear you. And even when he corrects you, it's out of love and to deepen relationship. Not to push you away. And when we allow guilt, shame, condemnation and going, oh, I haven't spent any time with the Lord in three weeks. So I shouldn't spend any time with the Lord for the next three weeks. That's missing the point. Living from his presence isn't about getting to a place where he shows up. <laughs> it's about being in the place where we connect with him because he's already there. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's a lot more we can say. Uh, I want to put something on the screen. Feel free to take a picture of it. These are some questions that we find helpful, even when we're going to the word, to do this relationally. And so you, you, we'll often... Uh, These are Carrie's questions that that I steal at times. Um, So when we read a passage, what does this say about who you are? And the the why should be capitalized because what does it say about who God is? Who God is, yeah. The second part is, what does this say about who I am? Um, And this is a real important question. What do you want to, according to this passage, what do you want to be for me? Lord, what do you want to be for me in this season? What do you want to be from? What does this passage teach about who you are and what you want to be for me? And then how can I respond to that? What needs to change? What needs to be added? How maybe it's my thinking, maybe it's my time, maybe it's what, you know, my perspective, maybe it's my heart, maybe it's something of that. What how can I respond to what you're saying? Um I just want to encourage you guys that some of this feels mechanical and um choreographed. And it is. Um, but, you know, uh, this started off for myself, um, learning how to spend time with God, learning how to hear his voice, feasting on his words. Um, he's the bread of life and wanting to partake in that. And, um, and then we started to have home groups that were kind of dwindling and they weren't doing well. And I was like, Jesus and people would come and they'd meet with me and they said, well, we think our home group's going to shut down. And I said, I, you know, kind of prayed about it and I didn't really know what to do because apart from God, I can do nothing. <laughs> um, and so I said, God, what, what should I do? Um, and he said, tell them to do what you've been doing, um, which was essentially him saying, feed them off your plate. You know, and so I was like, well, would you guys do me a favor? Would you be willing to meet for three months? I don't want you to have any homework. I don't want there to be a book that has to get read. I don't want anybody feeling guilty because they haven't done something for, you know, just, I just want you guys to try something. And when you get together, I want you to pick a passage in, in, in the Psalms. And I just want you to work through the Psalms. Um, and, and, um, so they would start with Psalm 1 and they would ask these three questions. And I would then catch up with them like months later. I'm like, well, how, how's the group going? And they're like, we're not shutting down. They're like, there's like 20 people at our group now. We're meeting in a cafe. We're inviting. And, and so, because there was life there. They were drawing on a life source. Um, and so um, I'm, I saw a lot of, I saw God do a lot in other people's lives through this. Um, and it was really an encouragement for me um, because I didn't, it didn't come from me. It wasn't, it was from him. Um, they were feeding on him. Um, and, and it was amazing what he did with those groups. There's lots of cool testimonies that came out of that. But, um, so we're just going to give you an opportunity. No, we're not going to. No. Okay. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to put a passage up on the screen, write down the reference. Psalm 143, verses 8 through 10. Uh, I find the New Living Translation for this passage probably captures the heart of it. Um, I would encourage you, sometime today, take a drive, take a bath, 
Get by yourself. Do whatever you need to do. And read through this passage, not as a textbook, but as a love letter between you and your father. Maybe ask those three questions. Read through it. Read through it five, six times. Read through it to a place where it's not, you know, you're starting to own it. And ask just the presence of the Lord to come. Ask the Father to speak to you. Just say, Lord, talk to me. Sit on a park bench if you're brave enough to be outside. Go, go, Go into your closet. Go wherever you need to go. And just spend 15 minutes. And asking the presence of the Lord and ask him to start speaking to you. Father, what do you want to say to me through this passage? What are you saying about yourself and your nature and your heart and your connection with me? What are you saying about who I am? What are you saying about this season of life right now? And start listening to the Lord and let him speak to you. And I can guarantee you, I, I guarantee no matter what happens in that place, something is going to shift inside of you or at least the beginnings of it. Where we're going to connect with the heart of God in that way. And if we did this regularly, can I, can I encourage you? If we connected with the vine more than we connected with this, we would see the way of Christ transform our lives. Does that make sense? Why don't you stand with me? I wish we had more time. Thanks, Carrie. Well, Carrie, why don't you just release us with a blessing towards this or a prayer for it uh, in some way? You know, Wes prayed as he opened up the service. Um, he prayed a prayer that Jesus prayed for the disciples. And I'm going to pray it for you guys too. Um, so, Jesus, I pray that wellspring would be one with you. Yes. Holy Spirit, would you just awaken our senses, awaken our hearts to your presence. This mystical, supernatural oneness that's available to us through Jesus. Mm. And Jesus, would you show us how to do it? Show us, Jesus. Mm. We need you. We need you to demonstrate it. We need you to show us. And we just say thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.